Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Oh Lord our God, we ask that you would transform us. You know our hearts. You paid the price for them. And we ask, oh Lord, that you would move us on this path of discipleship. Perhaps, oh Lord, put us on that path. We are yours. And we ask that our hearts and lives might be lived to your praise and your glory. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text this morning is a, another psalm of ascent. This one, however, was referencing, is referencing the time after the exile in Babylon. If you um, remember that account, the people of God were, were conquered by the Babylonians and the brightest and the best were hauled off to Babylon for 70 years. And they were so grateful that God released them. God brought them home and they were able to go back and, and try to do what they could to rebuild their life back in Jerusalem after having been exiled in Babylon. And so this is one of those Psalms. This is a Psalm that remembers that return and the great joy that they had in, in coming back to the holy city. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from the 126th Psalm. When the Lord restored the the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the water courses in the Negev. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. He that goes forth weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. So they think back as they are making their way to Jerusalem, realizing Jerusalem has been reestablished by the people. Not what it was, but at least they've got a place to go to. They've got a a center for their overall community. And they go, and, and, and this song that they sing thinks back on that day when it was so amazing that God had released them. So much of the book of Isaiah is about the exile, and then they're released from exile. And the hope that they had in getting back, getting back home and, and, com- and, and, and continuing their worship of God in the temple. And while they're in exile, they, they can't do what they do because they didn't have their, their temple, the center of their worship. And so they mourned and they grieved and so many of the Psalms of lament are about that. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land, they cried out. And so they, they saw their, 
their prayers, their, their sorrow end when the Lord God released them and brought them back. And it's even the language of every, the, the highway through the Babylon, through, through the desert, every valley we be, will be lifted up, every hill will be made low. And, the, and the, the strength of the Lord will accomplish this. And so it was sort of a, 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 a Babylonian highway, a freeway through the desert that was going to be their, their way home. So this became sort of almost as great as the Exodus, as a reminder of the, the power and the love and the grace of God that delivered them. So they say, when God did this, it was like a dream. It was like a dream. And they, they saw it happening. It was, an un, it was unfolding in their own personal lives and history. And they almost couldn't believe it. They, they used this language of it being like, like a dream. And as they were going through it, they, they were so happy. They were rejoicing. They were they were talking about it with one another and they were singing songs about it, even as they made their way back. And so this Psalm of Ascent is a psalm that recounts that time of great joy. And yet, why do they have to look back? Why do they look at a past time as a time of joy? What about now? What about the current time? Perhaps what it's about is recognizing the grace of God in their current circumstances, in the everyday life that we all have, that we all experience. And sometimes we go through things and we, 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 we appreciate it, but, but we don't make that much of it. We don't think that much of it. Now just... I think it was Tuesday morning, or no, Wednesday morning, because on Tuesday morning I was up in Jacksonville. And, um, and what's that cereal with marshmallows in it? That's what I had for breakfast. And... <laughs> Lucky Charms, yeah, Bill knew. <laughs> so I was up there eating the Lucky Charms. But then Wednesday morning, I think it was Wednesday. Beautiful morning. And I saw the clouds in the sky to the south. And I went outside back on the patio and I saw this magnificent scene of the clouds in the sky on the patio in the back. And, and it was just so beautiful. So standing in the backyard, and, but it was so beautiful, but it was just me alone. I couldn't, who, what do I do? What do we do when we see such magnificent beauty, when we see something that's so overwhelming, so glorious, and it's just us? What I did was went inside, got my camera, and I took a picture. At least I could make a record of it. At least I could have it. You know what I'm talking about. When we experience something where the beauty is so overwhelming, it impacts us. It comes to us. We don't conjure it up. 
It just is. And here we are in a place where we're able to see it and experience it. And there's nothing that we have done. But the beauty or the joy of the experience just has its way with us. And we are so glad that something outside of us has such power to give us, give us joy. That's, that's how it is with this psalm. They're aware of that which occurred in their past that was so overwhelmingly beautiful, where God released them, that this becomes something that they call up in their, in their current time so that they might have a point of reference to the goodness of God. At the same time, they also recognize that that followed a 70-year period of suffering, of hardship, of difficulty, of tears. But in retrospect, that 70 years of hardship seems so small. And so they come up with this phrase, those who sow with tears reap with joy. And the joy overwhelms the tears. The joy is so great that it, is, that it dwarfs the, the reality of the suffering. And yet, perhaps in order, to, in order to have that experience where we are overwhelmed, maybe we've got to know what humility is. Maybe we've got to admit that we don't control things. Maybe there's a point at which we have to acknowledge that, that there's an awful lot that is far greater than we are. A man named Brian Doyle, who just died recently, was a wonderful poet and author. And he was writing about, as a kid, not understanding the verse from the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor, blessed are the poor. Um, how could this be? He thought that those who had all stuff were the blessed ones. But Jesus says, blessed are the poor. How can this be? And he says, humility does not mean self-abnegation, self-suppression. It's more a calm recognition that you must trust in that which does not make sense. That which is unreasonable, illogical, silly, ridiculous, crazy by any measure of most of our culture that trying to be honest and tender, uh, trying to be an honest and tender parent will echo through the centuries throughout your tribe. That doing your chosen work with creativity and diligence will shiver people far beyond your ken. That being an attentive and generous friend and citizen will prevent a thread or two of the social fabric from unraveling. And you must do all of this with the certain knowledge that you will never get proper credit for it. Humility. It's the final frontier. So the final frontier being humility means that if we acknowledge and, and accept the fact that though we are in times when we are sowing with tears, those tears, those difficult times, those moments in which we're feeling like nothing, 
those times in which we're struggling economically or we're fighting off some kind of affliction personally and relationally or health-wise. We're sowing with tears and there's so much more than, than just us. We sow with tears and then we are able to weep, reap with joy because God will give his grace to us. C.S. Lewis, when he was an atheist, had a hard time with all of this talk about praising God. Praising God, glorifying God. And he had a really hard time with the fact that in the scriptures, particularly in the Psalms, there were commands to praise God, glorify God. And he knew of people that were really annoying to him who constantly were looking for compliments, wanting people to give them praise and honor and glory. And if that was his understanding, that was his understanding of God in these Psalms where, where we were being hounded to praise God and telling others to praise God. And, and that was a barrier to his coming to faith because he wondered what kind of God is this who is a glutton for for, for compliments. And then he began to realize that maybe he had thought this wrongly. He began to think, what is this about, what is this about praise? What is this about glorying God? And, and that maybe, maybe this is very different than what he thought. And he writes, I never, I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. So things that we just sort of enjoy overflows into praise. Think about it. Like I'm looking at my backyard at the clouds in the sky over the lake. And I'm thinking, I don't have anyone to tell about this beautiful scene. I wanted to tell someone, but it was just me, so I took a picture. <laughs> but those things that we enjoy, we want to, we want to praise. Our heart wants to sing. And we even want to tell somebody else. So Lewis goes on, the world rings with praise. Lovers praising each other, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, motor, motor cars, horses, colleagues, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes, Politicians, I had not noticed how the humblest, at the same time the most balanced and spacious minds, praised most, while the cranks, misfits, and malcontents praised least. Praise almost seems to be the inner health made audible. So in other words, praise occurs because 
we look outside of ourselves and we see something that is magnificent, beautiful, laudable, and we praise, we, our heart sings. And if we're with somebody, we say, sweetheart, look at that. Isn't that beautiful? Or we go to a concert. I remember at the Hollywood Bowl in LA going to concerts and, and, being, and walking out and being so touched and moved. Tchaikovsky's piano concerto, I remember, was so magnificently done in my experience. But walking out, I heard some crank griping about something that he heard during the concert. I thought, what a grouch. <laughs> it was beautiful, gorgeous, worthy of praise. And, and I talked about it with the person I was with. We all do this. And, you know, the people, people who are lovers, people who love each other, don't keep telling each other they're beautiful because they need to compliment the other because that other is a glutton for compliments. It's done out of just that sheer love that people have for each other. And we see the beauty in the other because of, of our time together, the history we have, the, the children we share, the, all of those things. And we see beauty in the other. And we tell them, you're so beautiful. Not because they need it, but we need it. And somehow, somehow when we do this, we can, we can appreciate and enjoy even more. It's almost, a, it's almost a little bit counterintuitive. It's like the more we give, the more we receive. The more we acknowledge beauty around us, the more we acknowledge the grace of God around us, the more we see it. It's everywhere. So on Monday, we went to a place called Iguana Beach, south of Ponte Vedra. And it's a, a narrow strip that's wild, and they've kept it this way. It's preserved. So beautiful. And it, it was a, a stunning place to be. And in the parking lot, get this, it was the honor system. No, no patrolling, just three bucks to park there, and, and that's it. And my son commented to me, he said he thinks they do better with the honor system than by mandates and enforcement. I said, even if he doesn't have $3, he'll put a five in instead. And we went over the, over the berm and down onto the beach, and there was about 100 yards of sand, and then a gentle slope into the water. And so four kids and mom and dad and I all went out in the water. And then at one point I came back out and I just watched. And I was so grateful just watching this family play in the surf. And it was so beautiful. And as they, as they played, then a a young couple come along, and they got a brand new little baby in their, in their uh, bassinet, or that thing you push, you know, one stroller, <laughs> about a four-month-old baby. And uh, I couldn't help myself. I got up and I chatted with them. My son 
my son joked with me because I talked to mere strangers. I said, I do. I, it's the first time I've ever done that. <laughs> and, um, but it was such, I was so grateful just to see all that I saw. Then, Reed, who's five years old, got his first boogie board ride. And he was riding in just in the foam of the water and this great big smile on his face. And I was there to see it and enjoy it. And they were having fun. They were doing all that stuff. But somehow I was enhanced. I was, I, I left the beach that day more than when I arrived. I was enhanced simply because I was there and experienced the glory of what I saw. So when we praise God, when we give glory to God, what we're doing is, is sort of like those little beads that those kids gave to me. We're giving to him, but he's giving so much more to us. And it's almost like those little beads to me are almost like sacramental. They're little things that, that we do toward others, sometimes we do toward God, and we receive so much more in return. And it is what Brian Dole says, something that makes no sense. We can't test it. We can't put it in a, in a test tube. We can't analyze it. But somehow it's just deeply, profoundly true. And so the people of God understand so much of life is sowing with tears, but we reap with joy. We receive from God, from the generosity of his hand. Let's pray together. And O oh Lord, even as we gather to worship, sometimes and also often, coming to church is sort of a experience is a rather dismal experience. But even, even here, you can speak to us. We're here to worship you, to glorify you, to praise you. And Lord God, it is our intent, not that we should receive from you, but that you should receive our paltry gifts. And that we, in some manner, are bettered. We go away full. Thank you, O Lord, for your mercy, your grace, and your gifts to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.